when you're pregnant, you're with Kaya, it's like, oh, he's going to play soccer, he's going to do this, he's going to do that. And then the real joy is just watching them figure out who they are and loving them every step of the way. Welcome to Atomic Moms, a weekly parenting podcast about the joys and complexities of caring for our little ones and ourselves. I'm Ellie Noss, and I celebrate and commiserate with best-selling authors, parenting experts, and caregivers all over the world in order to share their unique stories and the universal experience of raising a child. You can find us on our website, AtomicMoms.com, on social media, and also on iTunes. Subscribe so you can get a new episode every week. Hi, everybody. Okay, so this podcast today might be the hardest and definitely one of the most important episodes I'll ever be able to share. Natalie Taylor was 24 years old and pregnant with her first child back in 2007. She went to visit her sister uh, in Miami and Her husband, Josh, stayed back in Detroit for work. And so on a Saturday night, he went with his own mother, Dee Dee, and his mother-in-law, Lynn, to Pottery Barn for the baby's nursery. In the middle of the night, Natalie got a call. Josh was on life support. My husband and I stood at the foot of his bed and promised him that we would always take care of his wife, Natalie, and their baby. Natalie is my husband's little sister. And so a few days after Josh's passing, Natalie had to stand in front of a thousand people, again, five months pregnant. And here is what she said. She said, my older brother, Adam, is getting married this July. A few months ago, Adam and his fiance, Ellie, created a website featuring all of the wedding party with a small, concise biography. Josh's biography reads as follows. Question. If Superman and the Flash raced to the end of the universe, who would win? Answer, Josh Taylor. Yes, the groom's brother from another mother is a superhero. If Lance Armstrong, Indiana Jones, Jack Bauer, Emeril, and the cast of Jackass had a baby, a blonde barrel-chested baby who was addicted to Moomer's ice cream, it would be Josh, or Diz, or Dizzle if you're addressing him formally. Um, (laughs) We all have nicknames for each other. This is the story of a young, frightened mother, a widow at 24, who has to deliver her husband's child after he passed. Her journey is chronicled in the memoir Signs of Life, which was published in 2012 by Broadway, which is an imprint of Random House. But this is also a follow-up to that memoir because it's about how we can rebuild our lives. So we're going to talk about what it's like to let love back in. What it's like to be proven wrong when you think that things will never get better again, and then they do. And we're going to talk about the role of her own parents, my in-laws, the role that they played in supporting her through her grief and helping her recreate her life. I'm so happy to say that Natalie has, this is a tough one for me, guys. Uh, Natalie's remarried. She's remarried, and she gave birth to a beautiful baby girl last fall. This is a fun, hard, beautiful episode. I'll be right back with my sis-in-law, my husband's little sister, and the mother of two beautiful children, Natalie Taylor. Hi, Al. Hey. 
oh, I just put a potato chip in my mouth and I know how you feel about chewers. Chewers. I know because I've mentioned it on the podcast, right? (laughs) (laughs) You hate the chewers. (laughs) But you know what's so funny? I met up with a friend who I made through the podcast the other day and she knows I'm a hypochondriac because of uh, my complaints on the podcast. And then she was asking like, how do I let Sabrina go to the potty at the airport? And I was like, well, I just let her sit on the toilet seat. And she was like, I don't know if we could be friends. She was No way. <laughs> yeah, she was really, really disturbed by that. Um, and I was like, well, I don't feel like I have a choice. Uh, but it's funny because, yeah, people, everybody knows like every tick and weird quirk I have, um, which is also true for you. We share that in common because uh, <laughs> you, oh, yeah, yeah. People because yeah. of your blog and also your memoir, Signs of Life. People always say, um, like, oh, I don't want to hug you. You don't like people hugging you. And, and I'll go like, I, yeah, thank you. That's really nice of you. We'll just stand where we are right now. Do you, do you sometimes forget that you shared that in the book? Because I will, you know, I'll have conversations and people will be like, yeah, I already know that about you. And I'm like, oh, my God, I've become the most boring person on earth. 80-something episodes in. Everybody knows all my dirt. I don't know. I don't think... You know what? I mean, I think the the one about me not liking to touch people, especially my coworkers, my coworkers like kind of razz me about it every now and then. But um, no, sometimes my students will go, will say like, I read your book or I'm reading your book. And I'll sort of think to myself, like, you know, I, I know what a teenage reader is like. And so I'll think like, um, there's no way that you picked up on like everything I was trying to put down in that book. But, you know, I appreciate it. And thank you. So sometimes I think, yeah, go read it, especially when I talk about major works of literature and why they're so important. Read it all you want. Um, Okay. I want to ask you first about, because you're a high school English teacher um, and you recently sent our family a really cute text photo. And I'm wondering if you would share with our listeners sort of the momentous occasion that was celebrated in your classroom recently. Yeah, it was amazing. Um, So one of my students came to me on my planning hour um, okay, I'm, and I'm going to tell you and your listeners the whole story, which my, my students don't know, and I'm assuming that they won't listen to this. I hope they don't because of what I'm about to say. So, okay, on my But you have to share, work- by the way, one of your jobs as a guest, Natalie, is you have to share the podcast. So they might hear this. So I'm just saying, censor right. appropriately because I need the listeners. Tell you- well, I mean, they have a hard time paying attention. We're already like three and a half minutes in. So I'm sure, <laughs> I'm sure they'll move on by now. Okay, so... On my planning hour, I use my breath pump, and of course, no one knows that about me. No teenager, you, you can't even, I mean, they would never even think, what, they don't even know what that would look like, so what, I don't talk about it. So the student comes in and says, um, Mrs. Ford, on your plan, I just need to stay for like, can we use your room for the first 10 minutes? I think, sure, I got 45 minutes to myself, I can do that. So then the class leaves, they're hanging out in my room, I like run an errand, and then I come back, and I was like, oh, you guys are still here. And they're like, oh, actually, we think we're going to have to stay at the, like, the majority of the hour. And in my mind, I'm like, oh, uh, okay. So I'm trying to think of a way Damn to get cool. them out. And then I was like, you guys, what's this all about? What are you doing in my room anyway? And um, the student, he's a male student, and he said, oh, I'm asking um, this other student to prom. And the other student he was asking was also a male, and they're both gay. And... Um, he and this student who was in the room with me had written a college essay that I helped edit. And it was about um, how he, 
he was in a Catholic school as a, as a young boy and had asked a question about, can a boy like a boy? And he was totally shut down and made fun of. And then he came to public school. And by his senior year, he had, um, they voted him homecoming king in the fall. So he's a great kid. So anyway, I already knew this about him. And so he's like, oh, I'm asking so-and-so. And I'm going to stand in your closet with a poster. And when he comes in, I'm going to open the closet and the poster is going to say, you know, I, did, I haven't waited this long in the closet to not, you know, go to prom. And so it was incredible. I was so nervous for both of them. Then we waited the whole hour because the other, he, the other young man was taking a test and he came in. He's like, Mrs. Ford, why did you need me to come to your room? And then the door opened. And um, I was really nervous that the kid who was being asked, like, I didn't, I don't know these kids personally. I didn't know who was out and who's not out and who's, who's ready to talk about it and who's not. So I, you know, I didn't, I was just nervous, but it all worked out. And they had, they went on Thursday night, they had a great time. So um, it was incredible. It just like, I've been teaching for 10 years and I can tell you hundred percent that would have not have happened when I started teaching. And if it did happen when I started teaching, there would have been like, you know, all sorts of stuff afterward at the school, but it was like no big deal. And they were really happy. And it's just nice when you get to see kids be who they want to be at school. I mean, that's all we want for any of our kids is that they can be who they are um, at school. So and it, they was, chose, it was incredible. You created a space in which they felt uh, like they most wanted to express who they were and to celebrate. And so I feel like that I'm sort of humble bragging that you're my uh, sister-in-law and that it was your classroom where this happened. Well, I mean, I tried not to like pat myself on the back. Too much, but, uh, of course, <laughs> of course. I was like, you know, I was so touched. I was, yeah, I was, I was so touched. I was telling everyone I saw that day about it. I was just so proud of them. I was so happy that not just my classroom, but our school had created this place. You know, like I, I emailed my picture, the picture that I sent you guys to my principal. And I said, this is our building. This is what we have built. You know, we have all done a good job because our kids feel safe here. Like they can be who they are here. And that's what kind of what our whole goal is. So I was really happy for everybody that day. Uh, and one of the reasons I'm so excited about having you on the podcast is, you know, this idea that you you have created the life and the environment in which people want to celebrate uh, and want to, you know, claim their love. Uh, and, you know, oh my God, it's been nine years since your husband, Josh, passed away. And so I want to talk, I mean, it's so hard uh, and it's like, it's, it's really it's hard when it's so personal because it's like this is our family. Um, so I have like no distance from this whatsoever. And it feels incredibly awkward right. to ask my uh, strong and slightly intimidating sister-in-law these questions. But I think it's important for people, um, or at least there's probably one person out there who is afraid that she or he will never um, be in the place to find love again after heartbreak uh, and after devastation. And um, and so I'm wondering if we can go back for a little bit to nine years ago, just so that our listeners have some clue as to like how far along you are in your journey and like how different your life is today in a way that you never could have expected it. Um, will you share with our listeners a little bit about, um, Father's Day, 2007, it was like, a, well, obviously the day that changed my life, your life, everybody's life around us. 
And um, I was in Miami visiting my older sister and I had gone to bed and I was pregnant. I was five months pregnant. I had talked to Josh that night. I said, you know, I love you. Uh, no concern. It was, I mean, it, it never crossed my mind. I mean, I say in my book, I worried about everything. I never worry about him. Um, went to bed and then my sister Moo woke me up and I could just tell by the way she was talking to me and the way she was looking at me, um, that something was really, really wrong. So I talked to my mom really briefly and I, I, I mean the, the, I remember so much and so little of this time period, but the one thing I remember is I talked to, um, our friend Nate, who was with Josh at his, at his accident, he had been carboarding, which is like skateboarding kind of, it's like a surfboard, skateboard. So it's on wheels and he was going down a steep embankment and he fell and he hit the back of his head. And um, I said to Nate, what did you see? What did it look like? And he said, well, uh, there was blood. And I said, where was, where was the blood coming out of? And he said, um, you know, his ear. So it was just like the wrong, it was, I mean, it, I just knew like that, that's not supposed to happen ever. Um, so I said, okay. And I mean, I didn't say like that. I hung up the phone, didn't go back to bed. My whole body was shaking. Um, You're next stuck thing I know, we're like, I, You're on the um, runway. Stuck in, stuck in Miami on the runway. There was Wait. a call from a doctor on the way to the hospital about, you know. Wait, but um, really fast. Just so, like if anyone is ever stuck on a, every time, man, we were on the runway for an hour and a half. Actually, God, this is crazy. Last month we were on the runway in Miami for an hour and a half with our toddler. And I was like, this is taking forever. And I was so aggravated. And like the idea that you were on the runway in Miami and the plane isn't taking off and you need to get to the hospital in Detroit to see your husband. Yeah. But it's like, it was so weird. I can't explain it. Cause I've been, I've had a sense of urgency on planes and it felt like in retrospect, like you're just like floating. You know, it was just like, you're looking around and nothing is making sense to you. And people are having conversations about like making connecting flights or like their coffee spilled or like, and you're just like, what, what are, where are we? Why is anyone talking about anything else? And the stewardess is on the phone, like kind of like looking annoyed. And it was just so, I can't even explain it. And then this man said, you and your sister look really upset. And I said, um, we've just got word that my husband's been in a horrible car accident and I'm physically pregnant. And he was like, well, you never know, you know, miracles happen all the time. And I just knew like you, we just knew, we knew it was, it was, there was no going back. Did you say, did, say you, did you say car accident just cause you didn't want to explain? No, no. I just, I think I just, I think I did. I just said he's been, I think I was just like, he's been, I just tried to be as vague as possible. I tried to be like, I want to end this conversation so fast. Um, so I think I just said he's been in an accident and, um, you know, that's it. And I think that like, again, you, it was like an out of body experience. And I mean, I didn't even move and I, we didn't even really know what to say to each other except just be there for each other. So we get home, everyone's at the airport to get me. And then there's this yeah. like insanely long drive to the hospital. I just remember sitting yeah. in the car it was forever. For, I don't even know. I mean, yes. this is another weird memory I have. And then getting there and just like the whole, it felt like the whole world was in that, that whole hospital. It was such a small and, little, um, it was such a small little room. Oh my and God. Seeing and it was, it, Josh's mother, Dee Dee, just like, oh. Yeah. And his, his aunt just crying like hysterically. 
And I hadn't cried, but it had been like, you know, whatever, less than 24 hours or maybe a little longer, but like, it was just the most intense, horrific experience. And, you know, it was just, I now as a mom, I look at back at, you know, I'm, I'm, I think about Dee Dee all the time as a mom. This is uh, Josh's mother. Josh's mom. And I, once I saw him, I had some time with him and then I was just like, I've got to get out of here. I need to go. I don't know where, I don't know what I'm going to do, but I just needed to breathe or, and she said, you know, eventually after, you know, we stayed at the hospital for a long time, but then, um, after a while I said, Dee, I have to go home. And she said, I, I said, I hope you understand. And she said, I have to stay here. I hope you understand. And that was it. I mean, it she was stayed there for days, um, oh, days for, because of the organ transplants. Yeah, we did. We took out, I think, seven organs. They took out seven organs total. And, um, you know, that's amazing. There were a thousand people at that memorial service. In Kai, your, your son together, um, what little bits of Josh do you see in him? Well, Josh was very smart. He was, he studied chemistry. And um, in college, he always was <clears throat> into the sciences. And um, very articulate and Kai is really funny. Like he, you know, he has a very big vocabulary for his age and he talks all the time and he's very social. Um, it was funny because the other day we were playing tennis in the driveway with our neighbor and he was trying to explain to the neighbor kid how to play your doubles. And he's like, you're on this side. Don't cross the line into my line. And like one more time, the kid jumped into Kai's square and Kai just goes, we just established that this is my side. Just like so, just like so chatty, you know, loves everybody. I think the one thing that I see so much is that Josh was such a social person. Loved my mom, you know, just would come over and like just want to chat with everybody. And he know walks the story in a room. And pull up and, oh my God. Everyone just like, I don't think I ever saw anyone not grinning in his presence. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And, um, Kai's the same way. He loves, he loves people. He loves people. So, and like, you know, we joke that Kai would sleep in bed with us every night, you know, just like loves to be around people, be close to people, be with people. And I mean, that was his dad all the time in college, you know, like just with the guys that he lived with, they were together all the time. I mean, just like fun 24 seven. And And he really um, built a tribe around him and he was so, and I see Kai's relationship with you and I, imagine that Josh's relationship with his mother, Dee Dee, like that, just the closeness. And I, closeness. Uh, and that I know that Kai will be showing up in his twenties and like, uh, what do you people do in snow? Like dig out the driveway. What's- <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You got it. Shovel the driveway. Hold Shovel deal. the driveway. This is because I'm a Texas girl who's in California. So right. I don't know the lingo, but yeah, that sort of, um, loyalty and stepping up for the people around you. Um, you, It seems like you've absolutely cultivated that with Kai. How do you honor Josh with Kai? Did you talk about him? Are there photographs? How, what do you do on Father's Day? You know what's so interesting is that a lot of times between me and Dee Dee and Ashley and Josh's brother, Chris, we love to take opportunities to tell stories about his dad because his dad was, 
you know, he had all these funny quirks about it was super silly. And, um, I, like one thing is just like rant, like out of nowhere, sometimes I'll just go, Oh my goodness, Kai, your dad, you know? And then for example, the other day we're picking up a pizza from, you know, Primo's and it's in the front seat. And I said, Kai, your dad, this is what he would do. We would pick up the pizza and he would have to eat a slice of pizza immediately. Couldn't wait. Josh also loved food, you know, just like little stories. And I think with it, with Kai, and I've, I've seen this so many times, like a lot of times as an adult, there, there have been times where I have wanted a moment or a day to be very meaningful, you know, for Kai, but like, he's a kid. So a lot of times I think in the beginning, I would try to create these really meaningful moments. And then I would sometimes be like disappointed in Kai's sort of lack of reaction or, you know, whatever. (laughs) So I think the best part is just to tell stories. I think that, you know, I'm a storyteller anyway. That's just how I sort of like process events and live. And that's kind of like what I teach. If there were anyone to mythologize, it's Josh Taylor. Exactly. So I think that that's our main thing is we just love to tell stories. And when we go see Dee Dee, um, she has a cottage on Elk Lake and we tell these funny stories about how, you know, Josh and Chris would drive off the edge of the dock on this like, you know, little bicycle and they would think it was hilarious. And, you know, and then Kai will sort of say, as a lot of kids do, like, mom, tell me the story about when my dad and that, and in, in his own way, he sort of adopts this story of his dad which I, I have come to find is so much more meaningful than sort of saying, okay, Kai, we're going to try, we're going to take you to this place or we're going to do this thing. And then, to, you know, to have him sort of like blow it off or just be like, what are you guys doing? This is so weird. Um, it was funny because when Josh passed away, I met with a mom whose husband had died when she was pregnant. And I said, what do you guys do? And she said, on the, and she, her husband had died in, the, in a boating accident. And she said, oh, my gosh, on the anniversary of his death every year my with her in-laws, she said, they, we drive out to the spot in the lake and we like sort of plop flowers in the water. And she was just sort of saying it's agonizing. And her daughter has mm-hmm. to go every year. And her, and her daughter is like kind of haunted by this. And like she just sort of said, don't feel like you have to you don't have to do anything. You know, you'll figure out how to do it. But she was sort of saying that the more ceremonial stuff can be really hard for kids because they're not metaphorical people. They're not, they don't think symbolically. Mm-hmm. So um, the storytelling stuff for us has been really successful. You are now happily married uh, and yeah. you have a baby girl. And so I do. can you tell us, okay, this is totally weird, um, but I want to know, you know, when you finally decided to date again, like, what was that first kiss like? Because I'm assuming Joe was your first kiss, your husband now, right? Yeah, that's, yes, 100%. That's just sort of how I roll. Um, it's so funny because, uh, okay, so I'm an English teacher, and I sort of, like, am able to connect my feelings with sort of what I read in books and literature and poetry. And there's this one poem by Stephen Dunn called Tenderness, in that that's, like, my whole word for my whole relationship with Joe, my current husband is like, you know, I was by myself for four years and I never even felt for so long, like remotely attracted to any man or I, or on the other side of it, I would also feel these like extreme attractions to the most bizarre people. (laughs) You know, your brain is just going bonkers. 
so when I when I got to this place. Oh, by the way, you're also was, a new mom. So like, add that bonkers also a new on mom. top of it. Yeah, exactly. It was like it was totally crazy. I had a lot of imaginary boyfriends that I would date in my brain and then break up with in my brain. And so finally, it, it felt like when I started seeing Joe, it felt like my the first boyfriend ever that I've ever had in my life. Just because I felt like I was a completely different person. So I will never forget, like after our first couple dates, I would just be like, so excited. Like how you'd run home in high school and be like, oh my God, I then I did this thing. And I think after our first kiss, I just went into my bedroom. I laid on the bed and I stared at the ceiling for like an hour. <laughs> you know, it's just sort of like that type of thing where I just was, I was reborn into the world of you know, romance and relationships. And were you so so shocked by it? Because you, it did not seem like, you know, obviously Josh had was, you guys were so close and it felt like, you know, the love of your life. And then to, was it so crazy? Because, you know, I imagine I'm totally projecting onto you, but it did not feel like love was ever going to be in your wheelhouse again. Like you were standing on a mountain at, our wedding, you know, six weeks later or something. And that must've just been like, what are, why are these people getting married? Like, <laughs> how can there be any love in this world? Like if it, it did feel like that, right? Like the, it was over for Oh my you? gosh. A hundred percent. And I would say, I would say to myself all the time, like, you're going to be a, you're going to be a single mom for the rest of your life. And that's okay. It's okay. And you'll be fine. And it's not a big deal. And then like, I mean, like a glacier melting, you know, was the process of, of putting myself mentally back in the space of, could I ever go on a date? You know what I'm saying? I mean, it took so long. And, um, and my one friend, like I would have girlfriends and nobody would ever bring it up. And my one friend, Katie Battersby, who is amazing. She, one time she said to me like, okay, I'm giving you two more years and then I'm coming after you, you know, like (laughs) (laughs) there's such good people. And I think they knew deep down that it was okay. And, uh, um, Katie Battersby also, you got to tell them about the card thing. Oh yeah. Okay. So wait, hold on. Let me finish this real okay. quick. She's the best. And her, she is when we were, when she and I were in, we had just graduated college. I was madly in love with Josh at the time. Her mom passed away tragically in a car accident. And so Katie has been through this whole grieving process. You know, it was a different type of loss, but when, when Josh passed away, I really, really leaned on her and her family to say like, you guys got to help me. You know, I don't know what's going on. And she was, I mean, she's obviously an amazing human, but I, I just, her presence was huge. It has always been ever since the sixth grade. Um, very important to me anyway. So, um, yeah, I mean, going out on that first date and, and the whole process, it, it literally was like, I was, you know, 16 years old again, because it, I had, I felt like I had lived an entire life. I mean, in, in between, Josh and Joe, I felt like I had aged and died and then, you know, like was put back together ever so slowly. Wow. And the, and, and the Katie Battersby, what was the card STFU? She said, I'm handing you, I think this was at the funeral home. She said to me, (laughs) she pulled me aside and said, before people got there, I'm handing you an imaginary stack of STFU cards, which means shut the fuck up. And she said, you get to hand them to whomever you'd like. And, you know, it, it, it was the, one of the best gifts anyone has ever given me is an imaginary stack of STFU cards. I because, feel like we should make these uh, for moms. Like, 
just like think of all the advice we get that we don't want. Well, and then, you know, people don't, I mean, God bless everybody who came. And the reality of it is that people just didn't know what to say. And they, they said, I mean, if anybody has ever experienced the loss of a loved one, if you've ever had to stand in a funeral home for six hours for two days straight, pregnant. I mean, people pregnant, people say bizarre things because they really don't know what to say. And it's not their fault. And I, I have said dumb stuff to people. So can you, you got to give us some advice here. What do we say? What do we say to someone who's grieving? I don't know. I mean, I think you just say that you love them. You love them so much and you'll, you'll do anything for them. You'll come over and do their laundry. You'll bring food. You'll, you'll stay away or you'll, you know, like answer the phone at two in the morning. But I, I just think that you just have to offer whatever you can. And, and you have to also understand that they may never take you up on it, but they'll, I was always so appreciative of, of people who just said completely selflessly, I will do whatever you need me to do to help you and your family get through this. So I don't know, but I mean, I'm at a loss half the time too. It's a very difficult thing to navigate for anybody. So the SPFU cards were eternally beneficial. <laughs> okay. So entertainment weekly, uh, they wrote, uh, about your memoir. Uh, they say her dependable father shines marvelous <laughs> in signs <laughs> My of mom, life. So funny. So your mother cannot live. <laughs> She will not let this go, um, mm. that, that your father shines marvelous. Um, and so, and I do feel like it's unfair because your mom is such a rock star and I feel like your mom is half the reason I'm married to your brother, not because she's a meddler, but because, uh, when I went to your parents' house, which is by the way, everybody like a block from Nat's house. Yeah. A block. <laughs> you guys are very enmeshed. Let's just say, and your grandparents are also another block away. Um, yeah, I'm so, I can see their driveway. <laughs> but when I went to that house, I felt like I was home in this way that I've never felt like I was home. I was like wizard of Oz. Like there's no place like home. And I went into your parents' home and I was like, oh, this is it. Like, I'm ready to move into the basement. Like, this is it. And your mom and I, I think we were both wearing white t-shirts in like capri jeans. <laughs> and I was like, I'm like, this could either be a red flag or it's a sign that this is like meant to be. And so I'm wondering, since Entertainment Weekly already flattered your father, I want to know what comes to mind when you think of your mom? Oh, I'm definitely going to cry. Okay, she is unconditional love. I mean, that's, she just, she's incredible. Um, I will say this, like you said, her home is this place where you can just go and, and, and sort of like unpack your whole brain. And she won't judge you. Like anybody knows, my mom loves to ask questions, loves to know the ins and outs of, every, of everybody, but not in a way that is gossipy and invasive you know, in a way that is incredibly loving and supportive. And uh, I, I mean, the first year after losing Josh, I probably called her 17 times a day. I mean, I'm, that is not an exaggeration. And every single time she was there for me to listen to me, to, to just be there in a way that didn't say, you know, if you're going to fall to pieces, I mean, I guess what I'm trying to say is, okay, this is what I really want to say about my mom and dad, specifically my mom is else. Think about this. You know, you have a daughter now. Okay. Josh dies. I come back to my parents' house. I sleep in my old bedroom and I just think like, this is it. I'm going to live here now because I'm never going home again to my home where I live with Josh. Which by the way, like and all these things are there. 
I mean, ugh. all, oh, all, all, it's completely untouched. The crease of the pillow. Do you know what I'm saying? Like every, the, the takeout food in the fridge. I, I just thought, board it up, put up a for sale sign. I'm sure we can hire a company to clean it out. And I'm just going to live here. I'll have the baby here. It'll be fine. And by, by that August, they, they never told me that I had to move back home, but they helped me make the transition back to my, to my house. And, you know, I know that if I would have said, guys, I can't do it. I got to live here. They would have done it. But to have, for my parents to have the courage to let me go home, you know, to my house every night. It was not, you did not live a block away at that point. <laughs> so, yeah, because I want I our listeners like to know least, that. I lived at least, least 10 minutes traffic away. lights away that time. Yeah, it was far um, enough. It, it's a, it, it felt very far at the time. I mean, I did live in a different, you know, city and, or not city, but, you know, neighborhood basically. And, um, and I mean, I, I think now how they didn't say, stay here, we'll take care of you. You never have to, nothing bad will ever happen to you again. You know, they could have easily said that. And I would have regressed to a 17 year old and I would have never learned. I would have never learned how to be a mom by myself, which is obviously, you know, one of the most important things. So the fact that they had the courage to support me and and do all the things for me to get me back into my house and get me back on my feet was huge, huge, because that independence, that sense of independence, I didn't know it at the time, but it's it was paramount to being a fully functioning mom. Um, so yeah, my mom's the best. Yeah, she's the best. Uh, she's why I have a do the podcast because she got me into podcasts. She listens to every podcast well, also, on earth. She's, you know, she's really good. I feel like she's, she also just knows how to ask questions and she knows she like, I, know. I would she show needs up a and be a, okay, how to ask questions. And she always has delicious baked goods around like this. It's just a deadly combination. Um, and also she's super into high kicks. Like she's the ultimate cheerleader. It's amazing. I've never seen someone else celebrate other people's victories more. I will say this when I think about my parents and growing up and getting through the, the grieving process, like my dad was rock solid. And then my mom, like when I thought about writing a book, you know, when Adam thought about, you know, going to LA at the age of 18, when Moo thought about st- starting her own business, when Hales thought about, you know, whenever Hales has these crazy, you know, dreams of hers that she has, my mom will always say to us, like, of course. Of course. Why not you? Somebody's got to write the screenplay. Why not you, Ad? Somebody's got to produce the movies, Ad? Why not you? And, I mean, that is the real magic. And and I think that if it's if, if we, it's like, you know, me, Asmu, you, Dobbs, the whole deal. I mean, that encouragement and just this total sense of, like, 120% faith in her kids. You know, that's, that's, I think, why I was able to move forward and publish my book. And because she just kept telling me, this is so good. You know, I mean, that who wouldn't buy this? I mean, just over and over and over again. I'm just, I'm grinning. I'm smiling ear to ear right now. And she's so specific in how Mm -hmm. she, you know, gives the, not act, like, she's so specific in her encouragement. Like she really reads it and she doesn't. Um, it's not just sort of like, oh yeah, that's great. Or you're the best thing yeah. ever. Like it's specific. And that's actually what, um, one of our parenting experts said recently, Jill Spivak about the idea of like, when you're encouraging your children, like be specific, 
Yeah, I mean, it's, it's she's she's amazing. You're gonna come home and see her for like two days, all of a sudden, and then you're gonna be like, you're just gonna have a renewed faith in your life, and you're. I mean, like, you know what I'm saying? Just you, yeah. just, you guys need to come home every couple months just to like drink from the from the Warwick Springs here because it's <laughs> it's just awesome. It's awesome. Um, I do love Warwick. Someday we will probably um, buy a home on Warwick. Before we run out of time, Nat, I just want to ask, what was it like? having your second child like the idea that the first time you you had Kai and you went home to your parents house and you were in this dark place and then now you are remarried and you bring home your baby girl and you've got your incredible son there to uh read books to her like what it's just did it feel like night and day I mean also it's almost a decade later what was it like it's it it is such an incredible feeling. And I remember when I found out I was pregnant, I was so happy because I just felt like I want to know what this, I want to know what this is like under remotely normal circumstances. I want to know, you know, I want, I mean, Kai and I had learned so much together, but I want the feeling of just total happiness when a baby is in your arms. And, um, and I, I mean, I have that and I feel that way. And it's just amazing to have her around and we feel so blessed. I mean, that's the other thing about having tragedy strike early in your life is that, you know, every night Joe and I talk, we call it our evening meeting. We have our meeting before we go to bed. And every night we, we have to come back to like, no matter how hard the day was or whatever is stressing us out, we are the, we are the luckiest people in the world. And that's how we feel about Kai. That's how we feel about Tatum. We just feel like we have, we're so grateful that we had the opportunity to have a baby and that we get to, you know, raise this baby with my parents down the street and his parents down, you know, his parents are very close and we have a great neighborhood and just, you know, we live near the nicest people and we just feel incredibly, incredibly lucky. When Kai and Tatum remember you in the old folks home, well, that was a weirdly <laughs> phrased. Let me put that again. What do you hope Kai and Tatum will remember about you when they're in the old folks' home? When I was a single mom, I thought, I just want my son to know that, like, I'm, I'm powerful, you know? I'm back on the ropes, but, like, I'm powerful. <laughs> and I would always think that he'll remember my mom, his grandma, as magical. Okay, so those are my two words for both of us. But now, I don't know. I mean... I think that, like I said at the beginning with these two high school students who, who, um, who went to prom together on Thursday, I just want them to know that we raise them to be whoever they are. And I think as a parent, like, I don't know if you went through this with Sabrina, but when you're pregnant, you're with Kai, I was like, oh, he's going to play soccer. He's going to do this. He's going to do that. And then the real joy is just watching them figure out who they are and loving them every step of the way. So I have to say that my answer to that has evolved over time, but I just want to be the biggest cheerleader. So I think that's probably it. Be the biggest cheerleader. Thank you, Natty. Els, this was awesome. Until next week, trust in your goodness, live out your greatness, rock on, Atomic Moms. 